Uh, on the personal ministry that we are to have to others. In this session, we thought we wanted to look a bit broader and say, how do we equip a church uh, to walk side by side? Um, and so our aim this session, in some senses, is to put some flesh on the bones. Um, we've got this concept. We want to move towards others in love. We want to be wise. Um, what is it, what's it going to look like for a whole church to look like that? So this session, we're going to hear from Ed. Uh, we're going to spend some time discussing with the people next to us. Uh, we're going to hear a case study of a church that sought to do this from its inception. Uh, and then we'll finish up the session and have some afternoon tea. So I am going to invite Ed uh, to come and speak to us again. Here's the... Here's what typically happens is we grow in ministry. Knowing and being known, knowing and being known. That's, that is the, the chip. That's the basic platform. And in everything we do in face-to-face -face personal ministry, back-and-forth ministry, is, is just a variation on these themes. But what I'd like to do is I'd like, I'd like to just sort of grow now, if I could. And and identify some of the variations that all of you have, have already identified. But let's, let's just show how we naturally grow in, in adding on various features to this platform. So, everything we spoke about this morning, it's, it's embedded in our souls, and we're contributing these things to, to our local body. Now let's add on. Here's, here's the first question that, that we could ask. What... What are you learning? You, you have relationships, you have children, you have friends. What tends to go well and what tends to go poorly? I, I don't know what, what it's like for you, but I, I usually tend to learn much better from the things that I do poorly than, than things I might do well. So, so if you're like me, where have you really messed up in your relationships? And, and how, have you, how have you learned from, from that? already mentioned one we could probably say we're just brainstorming yes when in doubt say less rather than more be personal be personal be allow allow your questions to to not just be mere curiosity but but wanting to know someone in a way that they that you respond to them and they are stuck on your heart well here's the third Have you noticed that, that there are certain situations that you're going to encounter? Homosexuality would, would, would be, would be the, perhaps the most evident, where we think that our pastoral care of somebody else is primarily to make a moral assessment. So somebody speaks about homosexuality. That's wrong. And off we go. But, but haven't you found that that moral assessment tends to be the beginning of, of, of pastoral care, not, not necessarily the end of pastoral care. So tell me about yourself. Who are you? How are you doing? And all of a sudden we, and, and, and this is the way it oftentimes goes in ministry. Here's somebody, let's say you don't struggle with homosexuality and you're talking to someone who does and you have no idea what life is like for that person. But isn't it interesting is 
as you know a person better, you, you gradually begin to say we, <laughs> that, that we, that we share these universal struggles. They might, they might the, the details of them might seem a bit different, but, but ultimately that, that idea on this situation, life outside of boundaries that God has established. Sometimes it's, it, it feels visceral to be able to take a stand against our, our desires. Sometimes it's very difficult and hard. It seems like a certain loss to live within God's boundaries. So we could say something like this, to live within in the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven can be very hard and arduous and even painful. But this is the way of being truly human and you're going to love it. <laughs> to lose your life in, 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 the, in the midst of battles of marriage, whatever it might be, is very, very painful. To not stand up for your rights in a sense but you're going to love it. It's really, really hard, but it's great. This is, this is our design, and Christ himself has, has given the details to that particular design. So, so the first question we could ask is, let's sit down and talk. What are you learning? What are you learning in, in your relationships? When do they tend to go well? When do they tend to go poorly? Farther in, or growing a bit more, I should say. Of course, we is we know something about the human heart, we, we encounter hardship after hardship after hardship. And I, I oftentimes think of this, this quote from an old priest who was interviewed at the very end of his ministry and, and he you know, would do confessionals and things like this. And, and, and essentially the question was, what have you learned? And he said, I've learned that people are more miserable and less good than I once thought. That's what happens when you're, when you're sitting in the confessional. Good people do a whole lot worse things than you realize. And, and people who look re- relatively well put together are living in great pain. That's what you encounter. When you move toward other people, you find there's a whole lot more hardship day after day after day than, than you once realized. You thought maybe you were the only one. You, it, it, it was only on you. And, but hardships are dispersed throughout the body of Christ. God has determined that he will not spare us the hardships of the world, that with Christ we will, the statistics of hardships in the church are the same for the statistics of hardships outside the church for the most part. The only, the only difference is that we have this added layer of hardship at times because, because we follow Christ and, and, and occasionally have the opportunity to bear some of that particular shame. So what this means is, is you want to grow in hearing what God says about suffering. And it's already been happening. How can I pray for you? My life is filled with misery. How can I pray? Well, I suspect that you might not know you're going to 2 Corinthians 1, but, but that would probably be the first place we would go. Would, would the God of all comfort comfort you? <laughs> and, and would he comfort you in such a way that the comfort overflows the banks of your life and it would, it would, it would, it would even move to other people who are suffering? And, 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 and then what, what, what happens? You walk along with the person who's going through hardship. And sometimes when they're on your heart, you begin to read scripture on your behalf and on their behalf as well. And you begin to see this, this sweeping story of suffering in the scripture. And in other words, you, you have that knowing a person and knowing the hardships of life. And, and then there's this increasing richness that happens as we grow in knowing what God himself says to those who suffer. So here's the question. 
it's a question we hope every year we tell the story, it's going to be richer and deeper. How do you tell the story of suffering in Scripture? How do you tell that story? The, we've, already, we've already tried to excise, not excise, but draw out one story from Scripture, which is the story of finitude and weakness and neediness that can drive us to humility. Let's take out another one. Let's take out the story of, of suffering in Scripture. So, so think again. If, if, if I would ask you right now to come up and just give your version of the story, what would be the basic ingredients? And, and here, th- th- don't forget, it's, the Scripture offers us the very mind of God that does not seem to be held back very much. And so we're anticipating that the story is going to have different features to it every single year as we grow in the knowledge of Scripture, as we do battle with our own sufferings, and as we walk with others who go through sufferings. I'll just mention two features of the story that I suspect many of you would have. The way scripture typically will, will envision our hardships is it will, you know, so we're, here we are, we're saying life is so hard. Scripture, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. What he does is he, is he joins us with the story in the wilderness. The, if you're an Old Testament person, that wilderness story serves so many purposes. It's, it's, it's evoked in so many situations. This is the story of suffering. Suffering is one day things seem to be okay, then you wake up the next morning and you feel utterly destitute. You, you, you look around and everything seems bad. Not only does it seem bad, it seems threatening. There are the wild animals that could take your life at any time. There is the financial insecurity because you, you have nothing and you, and you know enough about crops that you're not going to be able to grow a whole lot in the desert between now and the time you need to eat next. So there's this, there's this, there, there's this destitution. That is the picture of, wilderness, uh, this, of suffering. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? It's, here's, in, in, in some ways, one of the tasks of life is, is for our stories to be overtaken by what Scripture says. What's our story of suffering? Ouch! This is horrible. I hate this and I feel utterly alone. And the Lord swoops in with, this, with this, this, this picture of the wilderness, a very simple picture of the wilderness. And it says there's more going on than meets the eye. There is indeed, there is indeed a very difficult time in the wilderness. And we have a God who is, is filled with compassion for that because he knows our souls and also he himself has gone through the wilderness and knows something of the suffering. But then he adds to it. He he says, by the way, keep your eyes wide open in the wilderness because Satan himself, the opportunist, tends to show up in the wilderness. He, he, he just sort of hangs out until the worst of times. That's when he shows up. And we see that obviously most vividly when Jesus himself was in the wilderness. That's when Satan shows up. And, and then, he, then he waits for, for perhaps another opportunity. In other words, when there's suffering in life, we have to move toward one another. This is, this is not something we were intended to, to respond to individualistically. This, this is a time where we need our God, we need his spirit, and we need other people to help us in the midst of a treacherous place. Here's what else we know. 
we know that there's a question that is being posed to us in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of our suffering. And you can, you can bring any suffering to bear on this that you'd like. The question is, will we trust in our God now? Will we trust him now? Or, or are we sort of fair-weather friends? Are we, are we people who we like him when he's doing everything that we want? And he's giving us the things that we want. But once he doesn't, we, we move on to, to another relationship. This is embarrassing. Uh, this, is, this is horribly embarrassing. I, we, have, we have sports teams in Philadelphia. And, and I follow the sports teams only when they've won more than they've lost. <laughs> right now, our professional baseball team is the, is the worst team in professional baseball in the United States. And I don't care. I don't care. But as soon as they go above 500, as soon as they start, ah, oh, the Phillies, yeah, they're great. What a, the reason I'm embarrassed by that is I'm such a horrible, horrible fan. A, a, a true fan, thick and thin. You know, that's, are, you, are you with Christ in thick and thin? Or are you, are you a fair weather fan where, oh, what has he done for me today? And, and by the way, you can hear sort of, Satan's, Satan's lies behind there. Is he really good? Well, you know, when, when you had your job and you were able to pay your rent, and yeah, everything seemed fine. Your, you know, your kids were relatively healthy. But now your kids might not be that healthy and your job is in, is in jeopardy. Well, maybe he's not so good. And wouldn't a, wouldn't a good father do really good things if he was powerful enough? And, 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 and our father certainly is powerful enough to do these things. Maybe he's not so good. Maybe we have to take matters into our own hands. And so as a result, isn't it true that so many of us in our suffering, we are deistic? In other words, we believe that God exists, but so what? We're out there on our own. He is not the personal God who, contrary to what he says, he comes especially close to us because not only does Satan show up in the wilderness, but God is with us in the wilderness. That is, that is this larger picture. So the question is, how are you telling the story of suffering? To your own soul... And and what guides your care for for those who are going through hardships? That would be one. The the picture of the wilderness, this action-packed picture of the wilderness, would be, I think, uh, when in doubt, stick with that prominent story. It It will lead to all kinds of variations of pastoral care. One other feature of that, the, here's, here's what we know. The story of the wilderness we, it's, once we get to this New Testament, all eyes are on Jesus. And, and, and now we begin to watch him go through the wilderness. And, and the, the anointed king is, is showing us the way of royalty. And, and his life is, as the, the, you know, the chapters in the 40s and 50s in Isaiah point out, you look at him, he's the king, who was the servant. But you look more carefully, and he's the king who was the suffering servant. That, that has to be part of our story. Our, it's, our eyes are drawn to Christ. He is the one we follow, and, and there's no reason for us to be surprised by the sufferings in our lives. In fact, if we have a New Testament version, a real New Testament finish to, to our story of suffering, if your life is going really nicely today, 
it's, it's not really a good question, but it's an understandable question to ask, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? This isn't the way we go. This isn't the way the family rolls. The, the family rolls together through hardships and being refined and being able to turn and trust in our God even in the midst of hardships because we know in the person of Christ he has demonstrated once and for all that he indeed is good because he's the one who dies for us Why we are enemies. And if he dies for us why, are, why we are enemies, why do we think that this time of suffering is, is when he abandoned us? Suffering is, well, let's, let's take the apostles. As far as we can tell from the apostles, when they, started, when, when they got this, and it was easy to get because they watched the Messiah who was the suffering servant. So when suffering came their way, they immediately knew this. Alternately, it was something like this. This is the greatest thing in the world. Or who are we? Who are we that we would be allowed to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah? Who are we that we would be allowed to go through sufferings ourselves? There was a sense of unworthiness that, that they experienced. What's your story of suffering? That's, you, see, you see how we're growing? You, you talk to people and you meet all kinds of hardship and it sends you back to scripture. Lord, what do you say to us? And these are just, this is really essentially one story with two parts, the Old Testament version and the, the, the fuller version of, of, of the Messiah who goes through the wilderness before us. What difference does it make? What, what do you say to suffering people as a result? What don't you say to suffering people as a result? What do you say to suffering people? Thank you. Thank you for sharing some of this fine shine of your life. Thank you for, for sharing your hearts. Thank you for entrusting me with these hard things in your life. I am so, so sorry. I am so sorry. In other words, I, I, I feel this in some small way with you. That's, that's, that's oftentimes going to be our summary of many things that Scripture says. What don't we say? It could be worse could be worse and 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 i would say that i would say that we probably have never has anybody ever said that to you they they have said it to you oh my word oh dear i i i hope we rarely say that to another person that it could be worse when i I tend to hear it when we say it to ourselves because it sounds really quite religious doesn't it 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 could be worse after all, this is not a cross with nails and things like that. It could be, and, and it's, you know, the, the, the idea is, come on, stop complaining, would you? Go on, toughen up and think of the kids who are on pediatric oncology units in the hospital. You want to see something hard? That's hard. Buck up. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, if anybody says it to you, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. That is, that, is, that is just horrendous and it's tragedy. And it is, it is an evil it, it truly is an evil if, if you've ever heard such a thing. And it is equally wrong for us to say it to each other. Now, that seems like a peculiar, peculiar thing to pick on, doesn't it? Because you're trying not to complain. Do everything without arguing and complaining. And, you know, that kind of, so, so here you are. You're, you're trying to satisfy Scripture, and you've got it completely wrong. 
Because here's the deal in the kingdom of heaven. You speak from your heart to the Lord. And you know what happens when you speak from your heart to the Lord? There is never a moment where he minimizes the things that you say. There is never a hint in scripture that says, I'll give you, I'll give you 45% compassion on that one. Because the person next to you, they really, you know, they're, they're the 90 percenters. Uh, they're the 95 percenters. You never, ever get a hint of that from Scripture. And here's the nefarious part to it. If, notice what happens if you say, in any way, it could be worse. Or it's just, it's, look at somebody else. They have it much worse. It seems self-sacrificial and, and kind. But what, what it does is it prohibits you from speaking from your heart to the Lord. It's, how, how dare we do such a thing? How, how, when somebody, somebody you, you love has gone through something horrible and they didn't want to bother you with it, it wasn't that big a deal. It's, it, can, it can almost feel like a betrayal of the relationship. Anything, anything that in any way keeps us from speaking from our heart to the Lord, there's something that's got satanic fingerprints all over it. And, and there are lies we are believing if in any way we, we think, oh, it's no big deal. Excuse the illustration, but let, let me go on because there was a point in my life where, where, where the Spirit just impressed these things on me just in time. I was speaking with a woman who was, was talking about her pygmy hamster that was dying. And a pygmy hamster is not that big a deal. Uh, it's, it's, uh, if, you, if your dog is dying, that's, that's like a sort of a big deal. If your cat is dying, that's a lesser deal. Uh, I, no, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I'm just, I'm just teasing, really. I have cats. I've had cats, and they're like the sweetest things ever. So please, please, please. You know, it's too late. <laughs> oh, dear. I used to have a cat, and to show you, to redeem myself very briefly, I used to have a cat. I'm allergic to cats. I'm allergic to them, and they lived in my house. And this one cat loved me so much, every time I sat down, he would sort of make himself like a little neck warmer. He would just... Does that help? No, I didn't think so. Um, Anyway, it was a good story. Uh, You understand the point. She had this pygmy hamster, and, and... like that's like, like, like really low on the evolutionary ladder, and 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 um, so I was waiting for this thing to die, and you know, just rolling my eyes and say, you know, aren't there other pygmy hamsters in the world? Like you can just replace the pygmy hamster, and that's what, that was going to be my counsel. Why don't you go out and get another pygmy hamster? Isn't that it's. it's it sounds like it sounds right, doesn't it? You know, deal with your grief by re- getting a replacement. But there's, there's, there's no humility in that. Who understands how hard this is? Here's a woman who really loves her pygmy hamster, and it's not an idolatrous love. She loves animals. She just plain loves animals, which is sort of cool. And she especially loved this pygmy hamster. And the spirit was very gracious, and just in time, when this pygmy hamster died, I realized that we have a God who doesn't minimize our suffering, and say, well, I'll give you 10% for a pygmy hamster and 20% for a dog. It's, he, he just simply 
He just simply gives himself with, to compassion for us. And, and part of the, 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 the wonder of who God is, he, he multitasks. We can simultaneously rejoice with those who rejoice. And he can be grieved fully. He gives himself fully to, to compassion for, for those who struggle. The question is simply, and as is, is you continue to grow in, 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 in working with this, just very, very, these bare essentials of pastoral care or care for one another, what are the, what are the, uh, the things that are being sort of layered on it? How are you growing? Certainly, growing in what Scripture says about suffering is, is going to be one of them. Here's what else you're going to find. You're going to find along with the priest that, that when in doubt, you look for the good in somebody, and you're almost always going to find it, no matter how wretched the person might seem to be. But you're also going to see the bad. And, and what do you do when, when you see the, the bad? And perhaps I could ask this question first. And how are you growing in your battle with sin? What, what are the words of God from Scripture that are coming increasingly alive to you in your battle with sin? That, that obviously is going to be the, 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 the largest part of how this story is informed. Let me, let me just think with you a little bit. What's, what's the story of Scripture that, that speaks to the fact that we're sinners? Let's go back to the wilderness. Let's go back to the garden this time. Here, let me tell you, let me tell you who we are. You know this. That, that we have been brought into the very garden of God and have been given everything. And, and part of humanity is, or, or part of the way God structures all creation is, is he puts boundaries around creation. He says to the seas, there, but not there. <laughs> the sky's there, but not there. And he says to us as his people, there, in the very garden of God, and not there. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's life. And somehow, the nature of sin is, is, we, is this just this variation on this Adamic theme. We think for a moment there might be life out there rather than here. And... And human life is, is trying to grow, to be discerning. Oh, that's death. <laughs> that's not life. And apparently we're very slow in that discernment process. And so, so we need not these temporary anointings from the Spirit, but we need, we need the Spirit to be truly with us. And, and now, as the, as the Spirit is truly with us, this, this, this privilege of discernment should be coming in, in view. And... And here's, here's the nature of, of life. To, together, to identify what is good and what is not. To put it in more stark terms, what is good is consistent with the character of God and it is, it is our home where we're called to live. What is, what is bad are, are things that ultimately are hatred against God and for our own desires. It's... It's being a friend of the world rather than being a friend of God. And it is this path of death. I, I, was, a, um, I was a lifeguard in New Jersey for a number of summers. And, and I, I think I saw in Brisbane there were some, there, there were some signs saying, swim within the flags. Does that sound familiar? 
well, we, had, we had something similar. We, we were lifeguards. We, they would swim within the flags. The only difference is we made the flags really narrow. <laughs> and, 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 and so it didn't seem like a whole lot of room to swim in. And the, the basic idea was you swim in these flags because, because what we're doing is we're looking at this more or less this circle. Here's all these people in front of us when we're watching this circle. And really all we're doing is we're watching the circumference of the circle. Actually, all we're doing is we're looking at the arc of the circle where the current is most active. That's where the people are going to be in danger. And we watch who's drifting in that circle of safety. We'll blow a whistle. Say, no, no, come back, come back. And, and we see them drifting off into the circle of safety, ignoring the whistle. Now, if you're a lifeguard and you see somebody drifting outside that circle of safety, nobody says... Come on, would you listen to me? I've been blowing my whistle all day. Now stop doing that and get back here. It's, it's not an occasion to get all angry at somebody. It's, this person might die. And, and how am I going to get there? Am I going to swim there? Am I going to take a boat there? I'm going to, going to see if I can get one of the jet skis. How are we going to get to that person? How are we going to, to rescue this person who is headed toward death? And by the way, you know how these things go in the ocean person could be headed toward death and they have no idea the current is just is just sweeping them away and by the time they realize they are farther out to sea than they than they could ever imagine and there's no way they can swim back in it's too late that's in a sense that's the picture you do you see how that informs your pastoral care for some reason sometimes we can get a little ticked off when people when people sin which is sort of curious because they're not sinning against us. Now, there are some exceptions to the rule, and, and, and I probably will, will, will evidence the exception to the rule. There are times that you might get angry at somebody when you see that their sin is hurting other people that you love. But even there, anger is a very volatile substance, and it can make us stupid if, it's, if it lasts any longer than five seconds. So there, this is no time for, for frustration and anger with the person. When, when, when a person is... When we've, when we've seen somebody in sin and they're not confessing it, what do we, what do, we do? We, we pray, we, we throw our bodies in front of them, we beseech, we beg, we do everything we can to remind them of where life is. And maybe we do this. Somebody's talked to you about, uh, about some pretty treacherous sin in their life and you respond with, let's talk about Jesus. Is that, is that you minimizing their sin? It's not necessarily you minimizing your sin at all. You know that sin ultimately is saying, I think there's life outside of Jesus. Jesus is nice, but he's not enough. Well, what's the, what's the antidote to such thing? Let's talk about Jesus. Because you obviously do not know him. You, you must, Jesus must be wearing a mask of somebody who has not been kind. And that is not Jesus. So we're taking the mask off. Christ and him crucified. That is going to be the way we understand him. Everything through that particular lens. Crucified for people who were his enemies. It's, you see, it's, you, you see the, sort of the, the, the flexibility that you have in your care for somebody who's, who's, who's entrenched in sin? It's, how, do, how can I rescue? And, and there are dozens of options you pray you get other people to pray you 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 confront but when you confront it's it's with a gentleness it's it's brother sister listen it it feels like life to you 
But you and I know it's not. You and I know that in, 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 the, in the book of Proverbs, in every, just, just about every single verse is trying, to, is trying to say to us, please, please don't. It really is this path that might feel good for a moment, but it will, it will take you into death itself. And please, brother, please, sister, don't go. And, and this other path, meanwhile, is this, is this, it's a path of life because he is the life. And can I pray for you that you and I would know the life in such a way that, that we, we got our beacon back, our humanity back, and we know the path that we are to go. How do you deal with somebody when they're caught in sin? It's, how's your story about sin growing? How are you seeing, and certainly we're hoping this, how are you seeing the goodness of God even to sinners? <laughs> that, that we're, we, we talked together, some, some of us talked together a little bit yesterday afternoon, and, and, and one of the reasons why why you are here is, is because, because you want to give good news to somebody else's soul. Because you have a pretty good idea that everything in Scripture is good news. Even talking about sin is good news. <laughs> because it's saying there is danger. <laughs> it's opening our eyes. And rather than being completely blind and, and waltzing into death, the Spirit of God opens our eyes and gives us the privilege of doing battle with it. This is really, really good news. That's... That's what we're up to. And then from there, what do we do? We, most, most of our human struggles tend to be comprised around sin and, and suffering, suffering in its manifold forms. You walk with someone a little bit further. What, what might you find? You might find this, and I'll just... We can, we can go on for weeks, obviously, in, 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 in enlarging what Scripture offers us as we, as we can care for one another. But I'll just, I'll just say this one thing. As, as we walk along with people, here's what happens. Sometimes their problems, oftentimes their problems seem incredibly complex. And the, and the more you know someone, the more their problems are unique. They're, they're unprecedented. And, and there's so many twists and turns in them. If you feel like you're getting overwhelmed with a person's story, that means you're beginning to understand them well because they're overwhelmed by it also. But, but that's not the end of the story. What you often will find as you walk along with someone is, is, is they be, you seem like you're more and more like them. And that's because, because, because so many of human problems are sort of a composite of, of a few basic problems that recur throughout Scripture. This is what you're going to do. As you, as you love other people wisely and as you want to engage in wise conversations, you're going to encounter fearful people just like you. You're going to want to draw out from Scripture some of the beautiful words God says to fearful people. You're going to find people, if they really trust you, they will talk about how they feel so unworthy and so filled with shame. And you're going to consider Scripture. How does God speak to shamed people? As you get to know people, you're going to find they're just like you. They're angry people. And you're going to want to draw out from Scripture. What does God say to us as angry people? You're going to find people who, who hear justification by faith week after week, but they feel very, very guilty. And how can, how can we speak grace? How can we identify ways that we're legalistic and use the law in, in, in wrong ways? You're, 
you're going to find that the people you're talking to are just like you. That there are five or six different universal human experiences that no matter where you go in the world, everybody's going to say, yeah, that's me. And we grow in those things. And, and then there's more. Psychiatric problems and how does scripture speak to things that seem even more complicated and on and on and on. It's a wonderful enterprise, isn't it? It's, it's this never-ending opportunities for growth as, as, we, as we know people and then go farther and farther in to the very word of God as he speaks to the contours of the heart. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for how it just never ends. It's, what, what you have given us is, 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 is certainly not simplistic. It is revelation from the very mind of God. And, and the farther in we go, the, the, the more there is to it. The more there is, the more there is, the more there is. And grow us, Father. Grow us to be people who love others wisely. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, we wanted to take some more time again uh, to try and work it into our own context, to think what it looks like in our own churches. And so there's two questions up on the screen that we wanted you to discuss with the person next to you. Uh, Firstly, where do you see people walking side by side in your church? We want to see God's grace already at work in our churches. Where is it actually happening? And secondly, um, how could it be better? So I'm going to give you some chance to talk to the person next to you about those two questions. I hope you've had a good chance to, to think about what we've heard today. Um, I'm now going to get, uh, for this kind of final section of the session, uh, we're going to get Peter Sondergeld to come up. Uh, Peter is the lead pastor of the Project Church over in Toowoomba. Uh, and as I've gone and chatted to people in different churches across Australia who are thinking through biblical counselling and how it affects their local church, um, even though it, it hurts me to say this... Um, uh, I think Peter and what he's done at the project uh, has, has been, you know, it's not the perfect church, no church is, um, but it has been quite comprehensive. Um, he, he's, he's made it a part of the fabric of everything in the church, uh, this, this idea of side by side. So um, he's going to come up and give you a little bit of a case study of the project to tell you what he's, what he's doing down there and what they're doing together. Excellent. Look, uh, the project started uh, almost four years ago to the day, and um, I, uh, I'd got my counselling qualification from a secular place and started CCF study before that, so my head was just kind of in that space. Um, in my former life, I was a teacher, and I was actually the uh, head of pastoral care and spiritual leadership and that sort of stuff in the high school, um, and um, the spiritual curriculum, that kind of gear. So uh, one of the things I got to do is basically have a bit of a test drive in the school before the, uh, the church actually started. Uh, one thing I did find in the school, and this is what I just uh, put, put out to you now, is, look, you can do a lot of good with this stuff uh, if it doesn't come from the top down, all right? And so I want to encourage you, if you're just uh, someone in a church, I shouldn't say if you're just, if you're in a church and you're not in leadership, just get it happening, all right? Just get into it. It's, it's really good stuff. But I would add that if you've got something coming from the top down, uh, it's uh, exponentially better. Um, and I'm not saying that to discourage you. It just is. Um, so basically what you need to do is lobby uh, your pastors. That's really what I'm saying. Okay? If, if they're not into it, go and lobby them. All right? 
reason why is this, uh, and I've uh, often mentioned this to uh, to preachers, uh, is is that you actually want to have a model of change that's expansive enough to handle really high-end issues right down to garden variety stuff, all right? And you actually want to have a model of change in an organisation that's consistent across the organisation because the best way to look after people is to not confuse them. Agreed? It's really confusing. If someone gets a particular model of change somewhere and then they go somewhere else and someone's operating on a different one over there, it becomes very difficult. Here's a uh, photo of where we meet. We meet in a school called uh, Toowoomba Christian College. Toowoomba's got about 100,000 people kind of in the region. Uh, A really central scripture for us was the one that Ed read before from uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, I regularly stand up the front of church and tell them it's not my job to do the ministry. Uh, it's their job, all right? Now, I'm one of them in a sense, so I have a little piece, okay? But it's actually their job. And that's what Ephesians 4 is kind of saying, is that the leadership's job is to equip the saints for carrying out the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Um, and so that's, that's what we've really focused on at the project. Now, obviously, the Bible's clear about the fact that, uh, that you need to play a part in uh, ministering to each other. What we also know is true is that you do play a part in ministering to each other. Everyone who's uh, a counsellor or a psychologist knows that they're not the first responders. Agreed? It's actually family and friends that are first responders. So not only is the Bible saying this is the way it should happen, uh, that is the way it does happen. <laughs> and so here's the thing. Most of the pastoral care that happens in my church, I don't know anything about And I'm not interested in knowing about it so I can control it, but Ephesians 4 tells me that I need to inform it as a leader. I need to help to shape it so that the care that people give each other is uh, is really, really good care. So at the project, uh, we are passionate about growth, uh, personal growth and, and the church growing and changing. And we do lots of equipping and lots of helping to get that happening. So what I'm going to give you is a couple of step diagrams. And some people have uh, grinned at these, but they've turned out to be helpful to other people. <laughs> what I'm going to show you is, uh, is two step diagrams. This one here is pastoral care in the project. So I'm just going to show you our, um, where we're thinking in terms of how we're trying to uh, catch things that are happening in the project pastorally. And then I'm going to show you how we actually equip people. My goal of the project, and our goal in leadership of the project, is to catch as many pastoral care concerns before we have to refer them externally. Why? Because as soon as you refer them externally, it's almost inevitable that they're going to go to someone with a different model of change. Okay? So it's going to be more helpful to them if we can catch as many as we can. And given that I've got a counselling qualification, I want to catch as many of the hard things as we possibly can handle with our capacity. Okay? Now... Having said that, is it okay to refer? Do I think it's absolutely okay? We do refer and I do liaise with people in, the, in, the, uh, in Toowoomba who do counselling to make sure that we get the person who's closest to our model of change and the way, well, it's not really ours. We think it's the Bible's model of change, but as close to that model of change as we can. Look, if you, if you just come to church like you go to the movies and it's just Sunday morning for an hour and a half, you'll get some kind of general care down the bottom there. Okay, uh, the next step up for us in terms of pastoral care is our community groups. Okay, we want people to be in biblical community. That's really, really important. 
And then we've got this thing here called redemption groups, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is kind of like community groups on steroids. That's what it is. Um, the next step after that, and when we're kind of, we're in transit a little bit with this one, but we're most of the way there is actually having some people in the church who we've equipped and trained up to be volunteer biblical counsellors. The next step for us, if we can't help someone through that grid up to that point, is to have the pastoral staff be involved, the people who are, who are paid. Uh, I actually do some paid biblical counselling at the church, and the church gets the money for it. And the last point is obviously external referral. Is that okay? Does that make sense? So now I want to just show you really quickly how we equip people. In terms of the equipping, uh, what, at this, uh, I think almost, um, I think 12 months into the project starting, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to train people to see themselves well and to see God really clearly and to see how the two intersect. So the, uh, most of you are avid Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion readers, maybe. Anyway, the first page is this wonderful, uh, I would just encourage you to read the first page. The first page is this. This wonderful discussion or uh, this writing about the intersection between uh, our own self-knowledge and the knowledge of God and how the knowledge of God increases our knowledge of self and our knowledge of self increases our knowledge of God and how they're inter- interrelated. It's a, it's a lovely little piece. So the big idea down here is we started that and it was like th- this is a two-day workshop that we run in uh, June, July every year, two Saturdays, two weeks apart. Um, and we train people really to see themselves more clearly see God more clearly and see how the two of those intersect. We give them a bunch of uh, journal articles and biblical counselling content for them to think about and to read for a couple of weeks and then we come back. It's a workshop style. People uh, get to talk about questions and have discussions. In the church at the moment, we're uh, taking all of our community group leaders through side by side, probably not even thinking that much about how they're going to implement it in their group by just having good, honest discussions in the uh, community group leaders about their own things and their own stuff and how they're processing it. Uh, This one here is a pretty recent... uh, Redemption groups are quite a recent addition. I'll make a quick note. Um, It's not a particularly biblical word, but um, there's something about uh, the truth of the Scriptures that we need to marinate in. I um, don't know whether you've ever gone to a, um, a vending machine and put a coin in and you hear a drop into the, the coin box eventually as it goes down through wherever it's got to go and eventually drops in and you go, ah, it's in the box. Sometimes I think uh, the Bible's a bit like that and Christians are a bit like that with the Bible. It's like sometimes we just need to stop long enough for it to kind of drop into the box. Do you get what I'm saying? In kind of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people say about the head and the heart and I'm not sure there's that much of a difference between them or sorry not that much of a distance between them I should say Um, but I would just really encourage you that you need I would encourage you in your church to find something that takes people through a process where they just have to sit and let the truth about God connect with them in a deep way so I probably thought that this here was going to do it and it doesn't it doesn't do it uh, it just kind of gives them some categories in their head to kind of progress through and go up to there. So, look, redemption groups are a, um, a really uh, intense um, 
small group kind of context. There's usually two or three leaders and five or six participants. It kind of parallels the uh, Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Um, and I tell you, it is a biblical counselling um, framework that applies from the highest, almost the highest pastoral care type issues of abuse and things like that, right through down to garden variety, sin and suffering. And uh, we absolutely uh, have just had a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, Ed talked earlier about being able to work with people and see God's work in them. This is probably the most profound observation experience of exactly what Ed was talking about before. You just get to sit and watch this stuff happening and listening to people talk is so incredibly encouraging. We, um, we've just become licensed uh, as a Redemption Network in America. This is not a Redemption Group plug. You don't have to do it. There's other things called how people change. There's other processes you can take people through. We just love this one. <laughs> and the idea is it's kind of like a, uh, a Grand Prix a Formula One kind of Grand Prix, right? It's like what we're going to do is we want the main pastoral care structure to be community groups, but what we're going to do is we're going to get you to take a pit stop sometimes and they're going to be in the pits and they're going to... Maybe they are, literally. <laughs> but they're going to be in the pits and uh, it's like we're just going to do some really intensive work for a short period of time, for about 10 weeks, and then get them back into uh, community groups. Uh, I want to read you a couple of quotes from people who just finished our last run of uh, redemption groups. That's uh, Mike Wilkerson's book. Here we go. This is Chris. Chris says this, My life with God was comatose to say the least. I came into redemption group not sure of what to expect, but I knew that change had to happen. Honesty was something that I had not valued in my life. My faith and personal life had become introverted and all about me. The program facilitated an open and honest dialogue with God through which he shone his light into areas of my life that I had controlled for too long with detrimental effects. God's nature became real to me and his presence is something that, that now draws me rather than confuses me. I would recommend this program to anyone who is sick of living day to day with mediocre faith. Henrietta says this, Redemption Group gave me the opportunity to look at and begin to work on some of the barriers I built between God and me some of which I hadn't clearly seen before. The course brought into focus how God has pursued me and has been working in my life even when I wasn't walking with him. God has shown me that he wants in on many of the details of my life I thought were beyond his care, like my finances and how I see myself. The course has deepened my understanding of God's character. I feel more certain of who he is and how he feels about me, which is amazing. Redemption Group has been an excellent way to draw closer to God and to be plunged into an encouraging into encouraging relationships with some of the beautiful women who come to the project. Is this a redemption group promotion? No, it's not. All right, you know what it is? Get people into a context where they go through a process of applying the truth about God um, to their life in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit where he actually uh, works on them. Uh, as a quick side note, I've printed a whole bunch of booklets. If you want to know more about it, they're on the table outside. You can take one of those with you as you go. Uh, I've uh, been working closely with uh, Mike Wilkerson. Obviously, you can understand it's quite a, um, a sensitive thing to run in your church because you can have some people in there with some really sensitive issues. So it's not something you can just go and buy the book and run it in your small groups, all right? We're actually the only church that's licensed in Australia to run it at the moment because we want to make sure that we're careful and we look after people really well. 
Um, so Mike and I are talking about how can we help other churches who are interested to run something like this to help their people. Um, so just if you're interested, grab one. Uh, we'll probably we'll be having a webinar with uh, Mike and myself uh, at the end of April, and we'll let you know that in an, in a mail out. The um, a couple of things just to finish. Um, we uh, we've done we've subsidised people training uh, or studying CCF subjects, and that's been great for our people, and I really encourage it. Um, probably prior to redemption groups coming in, we would have had CCF subjects in that spot. Uh, part of the problem with CCF subjects is that they're uh, they're masters level, and it's probably a bit beyond some people. Um, they cost uh, about six hundred dollars US, so sometimes finances are a bit beyond people. Uh, they are worth every cent. <laughs> and I would encourage everyone who's got the, uh, the time, the money, and the aptitude to study them, to study them. They are great. Why are they great? They're great because they take people through a process that applies the Bible to their life, and the Holy Spirit does something in you as that happens. Does that make sense? So it's got, that's what I want you to get. I don't want you to go away saying, Peter's telling me to run redemption groups. No, he's not. He's saying, find some processes to take people through where they apply it, and the Holy Spirit messes with them in the best possible way. Okay. Um, I might even finish there. We've, uh, uh, as I said, look, we've subsidised people training in CCF subjects. We've just done one on site because CCF has been so good to be flexible. Uh, and I've been able to do the assessment on site and, and they're wonderful. Let me finish with this uh, disclaimer. The project is not finished in working out how to do side-by-side. We see some good signs. When I hear Ed talk about stuff, I think, I can see some of those signs happening in the project. Do I want it to get better? Yeah, absolutely I do. Are there areas where it could get better? Yeah. Should I have been in some of the discussions some of the people from my church who are here had about what could be better? Probably. Uh, Ten minutes or so ago. And and listen, last disclaimer is this. Don't, um, Don't copy us. Okay, And that's not because I think we're doing something unique. And I, it's, it's not like I don't want you to rain on my parade. It's like just get on the journey and find out how God wants you to do it in your context. We'd love to be of all the assistance that we can be. But don't feel like you yeah, just have to do what we're doing. Uh, I, I strongly believe that God needs um, responsive people to, in a sense, incarnate his truth in their particular context. So if we can help you with that, I'd love to help you with that. If we can't, that's okay. Uh, you can find someone who can uh, and just get on the journey and, and pursue it. So thanks for your time. Okay, well, today we'd like uh, Biblical Counseling Australia has been hosted by QTC, a wonderful Bible college here. Um, and uh, one of the reasons is because QTC has a commitment to biblical counselling and they've been running the CCF distance education courses through the college. And so I'd like to invite Andrew Bain, who is the vice principal, to come up now. You can give him a clap. I think, I think that was the principal who's leading the charge there, mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, thanks heaps. Um, we've been really pleased to host uh, today, to host Ed and Biblical Counselling Australia. Uh, as just uh, mentioned a moment ago by Peter, um, CCF's online courses are a great source of help 
for, for our growing in these things in our local churches, uh, particularly uh, for those you know, who can manage that level of study uh, and who can afford the cost or be helped by others to afford the cost. Uh, something that we have done at QTC is uh, we've set up, uh, in cooperation with CCF, uh, the option of taking the online courses, uh, but taking them uh, as part of a group experience, uh, taking them as part of a group experience uh, led uh, by an experienced uh, GP, Christian GP counsellor uh, here at QTC. Uh, the intensives are normally, uh, the time varies a little, uh, but normally over a couple of days or so, uh, spaced out. We run them about every uh, 12 weeks, about every three months uh, through the year. Uh, Carolyn Russell, uh, who is a local experienced GP Christian counsellor, uh, is the person who's been leading those sessions for us. Uh, in a few moments, we're going to hear from someone uh, who's done a few of the CCF courses this way. Uh, I should add, in terms of cost, uh, the way we've worked things out, uh, the, the additional cost for doing the online courses together with the face-to-face -face sessions, uh, the cost is only marginally more. So there's not, not much extra cost financially. It's just the time cost uh, to, that goes with the opportunity of doing it in a group. Um, but in a moment, we'll hear from someone who's done a few of the courses that way. Uh, but before we do, uh, we'll hear from Carolyn. We're going to get a chance to meet uh, Sarah Bailey. You want to come up, Sarah? Uh, Sarah has done some subjects through the CCF, uh, through CCF, through QTC. Um, Sarah is married to Dave. Yep. Awesome. And they're at Creek Road Presbyterian. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a few questions. Sarah, tell us, uh, you've done the CCF courses. How has it impacted your walk with the Lord? I think I have grown more in the last 18 months 
all right. I didn't think I'd be this emotional. It happens. It happens to the best of us. I could use exhausted as an excuse as well. <laughs> and I'm quite happy for you to carry my luggage. <laughs> there you go. That'll get rid of the tears. Um, I think I've grown more in the last 18 months in my faith than I have maybe in the last 10 years. Um, and we've been through some hard stuff. Um, but God has been preparing us um, to deal with hard stuff in other people's lives as well. Um, so it's been amazing. It has been really hard work. Um, I have a three-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, so it's been a challenge to try and fit it in. David has felt very lonely at times, <laughs> but he's joined me this year. So he's been studying as well. Uh, but it's been incredible. I have become much more aware of how desperately needy I am. Um, but also how great my God is. Yeah. That's wonderful. And tell us, how has it changed your, your ministry to others? I think I love people more. I would have said before that I loved people. Um, but now I see even more that we're not so different. We have so many things that we connect on. We both desperately need Jesus. Um, I think in terms of how I go about what I do, so I'm involved in in music ministry, I'm involved in working with unchurched mums in a play group, and I have a growth group. Um, and in all of those, it's less about me and more about the people that I'm serving. That's awesome. Um, wh- what about God uh, has particularly struck you as you've gone about the courses? I mean, there might, might have been different aspects of the gospel. Is there any one thing or multiple things? I think how big God's story is and that we all sit sit within that. Um, I think I thought in terms before of how some people are outside and some people are inside, but actually we're all somewhere, but where are we? Um, And finding that out and then learning to be an even better part of the story. And so who would you recommend do the the CCF courses? Would you say everyone should do it or...? Would you put some, put some provisos, unless you are? <laughs> I felt really good about myself, about myself, when Peter said, it's master's work level. Because um, <laughs> it, it has been hard work. Um, but I think if you did it, and even if you just audited um, the lectures and did the assignments just with the idea of, of trying to understand it more, it's totally worthwhile, um, not just for your own uh, progressive sanctification, um, but also uh, I think just having a, a better understanding of, you know, how God can work so amazingly in people's lives and how he can use you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'll tell for you. We're going to finish up. Yeah, do that. Love a good clap. Um, I went to a conference recently where the guy who was emceeing with me hated people clapping, and I just didn't understand it at all. <laughs> didn't understand it at all. So we're going to break for afternoon tea. Remember, if you have any questions, the text, text the number up on the screen. We're going to have the question time at the end of next session. Um, just...
before you go, I just want to point out in the back of your book, you've got 11 things to do from here. Uh, like Pete said, go away and do something, okay? And here's 11 possible things you could do, get into it. I still have, I reckon, about nine side-by-side copies left that I'd like to sell before I have to get on a plane tonight. Um, so please get your credit cards ready and come and purchase a copy. Thank you.